You've hit play on the Screen Companion, a show about making your viewing time count. So, adjusted for inflation, the first movie from 96, its box office would be $840 million in today's $22. Oh, that's a lot of money. It was Cruz's first time as a producer. Mission Impossible 2 from 2000 was the highest grossing movie, followed by Gladiator. Hmm. Mission Impossible 3 was the lowest grossing, just shy of $400 million. And because it was released at the same time as Casino Royale, I can tell you it was almost $200 million less in grosses than that movie. There have been a few times where Mission movies have released the same year as Bond movies, and Mission Impossible 3 definitely got his ass kicked that year. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't help that it was up against a legitimately great movie, because I can see where MI3, like, it got mixed reviews, right? I was there on opening weekend for all the Mission movies, and let me tell you, I really didn't like the third movie when it first came out. And then you're up against Casino Royale, which is kind of, seems to be a lot of people's favorite nowadays, really. That's a tough act to compete with. And it's a new Bond, too, so that doesn't help. Let us go on to Rogue Nation. Please give us a little summary of it. This one is Ethan versus the anti-IMF. It's like their version of Spectre versus Ethan's version of MI6. They're just this organization that's trying to mess up the world. And they're everywhere, and Ethan's trying to take them down and get their ringleader and stop the syndicate. When I heard the story for this movie, I got a little alarmed because it did feel too much like Spectre on the face of it. And I was thinking, oh, don't don't you go off the rails again. Ghost Protocol, you did so well with that. And I should have realized, when you got Cruz and Macquarie working together, the result isn't going to be too bad. What do you think is unique about this in the overall series? You know, in every movie, either at the very beginning or near the very beginning, you have the classic Ethan Hunt, you know, here's your mission, da-da-da-da-da. But with this one, the message is hijacked. Hey, Ethan, you're looking for the syndicate. Well, you know what? We are the syndicate, so stop looking for us. We're going to win. The big bad of the movie kills this innocent IMF agent right in front of Ethan, and you automatically see how dangerous they are. I think almost more than any of the Mission Impossible movies, this one really set up how dangerous the villain and that organization is in the most effective and surprising way possible. The detail of the syndicate being it's made up of former agents from around the world. That's beautiful, because half the time when I'm watching movies like this, I'm thinking, how do they find all these henchmen? Why would they all want to work for Spectre? Yeah, you don't get all of their backstories. You don't know who worked for who, but you know that they all worked for other agencies, and they're all dead or presumed dead. And did you catch that at the very, very end of Ghost Protocol, they mentioned the syndicate? I do remember them mentioning it, but it didn't click with me until I rewatched Rogue Nation because I forgotten the name of the organization. I love that continuity, man. 
it almost makes me think they were already thinking about the next movie and that type of care. It's what I want in my series and what I think Cruz brought to it as producer. I like the way this movie feels a little bit like a throwback to the first one. The tone, it gets a bit more espionage-like. We see more use of fog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I think the standout is Ilse Faust. What a great femme fatale. You don't know where her allegiances lie for a while. Every time she's interacting with Ethan, I feel like the energy is crackling. Unlike some of the other female leads prior to this one, she really feels like that character earned her spot on the team and earned her relationship with Ethan. Well, I mean, she had to. You never quite knew. You never knew because they would always throw something I think we saw this in the theaters, right? I think we did. Was Max there? I think it was the three of us who went. It's interesting, you know, having just marathoned these movies, and I'd already seen this before. I'm watching, I'm just like, man, the movies really do keep you guessing. She's a deep cover agent. She's helping Ethan. Is she helping Ethan? Who is she a double agent for? It's almost like she's screwing Ethan over to help Ethan. It's very strange, but I think that's the hallmark of a good espionage flick. I think it's nice to see a spy agency besides the IMF doing wrong for once. (laughs) The villain in the first movie is the IMF. (laughs) The villain in the second movie is former IMF. What were some of your favorite scenes or performances in this? I definitely really like the opera house scene. That's a great action sequence. Just the the fight scene was good. The tension was good. The climax of the movie was really exciting. The way they caught the villain was just really satisfying. What I like about the latter movies in this series with 4, 5, and 6 is I feel like they are honestly just getting better. And so it does make me excited for 7 and 8. For any other series, I wouldn't believe that the 7th and 8th movie could be even better than what came before it. Damn it if Tom Cruise hasn't made me a believer. (laughs) He's, He's a gem, honestly. He knows how to give the audience what they want and keep it fresh. A detail I really liked about this one is just the way the villain Solomon Lane matches Ethan as far as being a chess master. And you really feel like he's met his match in a way that the other movies never really had a villain that seemed to go toe-to-toe with him. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where Hunt memorizes a bunch of account numbers that Solomon wants. Going back to the continuity of these movies, whereas in Bond, I feel like sometimes he has skills that just come out of nowhere, the photographic memory thing did show up in previous movies. That is one of his skills. I remember when we saw this in theaters, I remember thinking like, dude, that's a pretty big ass pull. He just memorized all these account numbers and I thought that was a little much. But watching all the other movies before it, you are right. Like He does have that very great memory, which would serve a guy in his position well. Now, an alternative to that would be they talk about Ethan being a gambler, 
it's very possible he only memorized that one account. It is. But, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, the, yeah, because... And he would have been up Sh's Creek if Solomon said, well, what's another number? <laughs> yeah, that would have gone south real fast. Talking about some of Ethan Hunt's skills that pop up multiple times, we see that he's good at driving motorcycles, sleight of hand. He's a linguist. He's got that photographic memory, lip reading, climbing, being a strategist. All these things seem to pop up multiple times and really do define his skill set. And not too many things feel like they come out of nowhere. Although the lip reading in the third movie felt that way, but at least they brought it back. It was nice that they brought it back because it was kind of weird in the third one, but it would make sense for a guy like that to be able to read conversations from across the room if you can't bug them. What do you think is the closest Bond equivalent? Honestly, I would give this one to Quantum of Solace. Ooh. Is it all the uh, opera stuff? It's the opera stuff, but Quantum was also kind of like that shadow organization that just had their fingers in all these pies. And it was just more action-y. I don't feel like that villain really had one over on Bond, like this guy did over Ethan. I would go with Spectre, because Solomon Lane is to mission what Blofeld is to Bond. And at least they didn't make Solomon Lane a relative. Yes. And I will say I like that Solomon Lane is also kind of a Weasley man. Ethan would beat him up in fisticuffs for sure. Well, actually, you know what? He holds his own. Especially in the sixth movie. In six, yeah, never mind. Let's do our ratings. What would you give the story? I'd give this a 4.5 if I can give half points. I would give it a very high mark as well. The action? Five. Mm, okay. What do you think is the best action sequence in this? I think in terms of tension, it's the opera scene. I like that fight he has with the former Mossad agent and how the set was working against him. The uh, inner workings of the set and the risers moving. This movie had really great action sequences through and through. How about cruise stunts? This one's a five. He hung on the side of that plane. (laughs) Yeah, and that's how they opened the movie. Yeah. Ah. And then the car chase was great, too. I really like the theme, the version of the theme in this one, because the way it builds up, and as he's running to the plane, it marries so well. Mm-hmm. How about the team? I'd say it's another five, honestly. I liked Paula Patton in Ghost Protocol. I think Faust kind of takes her position very well if not a little bit better, just because she's a more complex character. Ving Rhames is back, Simon Pegg is back, and so is Jeremy Renner. It's good. Uh, The team's solid. Yeah, everybody on his team, whereas the previous movie, everybody had a backstory. In this movie, it feels like everybody really had a subplot to play with. And it felt like old friends, because they were. Well, let us move on to... The sixth movie that so far is the last one to be released as of this recording. Mission Impossible Fallout. Ethan, 
has to deal with the ramifications of not killing Solomon Lane in the last movie, which I think is a really great plot point. Something like that never happened in Bond, did it? Oh, actually, no, wait a second. Spectre to No Time to Die. The relationship between Lane and Hunt, do you think it works better or works worse than Blofeld and Bond in the last two Craig movies? I'd say it works better. With Blofeld and the Craig movies, he's, um, I think because there's less direct interaction, that's kind of one strike. And then also, I feel like in No Time to Die, it was largely Rami Malek's character who was the menace. I feel like Blofeld was just kind of there. What do you think are some of the more interesting, unique aspects of this installment? This is one where it just seems like everything Ethan touches just goes to hell. One of the things that is pretty consistent throughout the franchise is at some point, Ethan gives the bad guy exactly what they want to somehow gain an advantage later. Like giving Max the knock list in the first one, he gave the nuclear codes to the bad guys in Ghost Protocol. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he had a hand in giving Chimera to the bad guy in two. Well, he handed over the thief if he had shot Naya before he escaped. True, and then, yeah, and, uh... He stole the rabbit's foot in three. He stole the rabbit's foot in three. He's always giving the bad guys exactly what they want. And in this one, he just kind of doesn't. But this one, it's just, it all goes south. You know, it's very early in the movie. Ving Rhames is in a precarious position, and he chooses to save his friend instead of securing plutonium. He saved Ving Rhames really quickly, but there was just enough opening for that plutonium to go missing. And so it's not just the fallout of not killing Solomon Lane. It's like just his awful decision at the beginning of the movie. The fallout of all your good intentions. Well, yeah, he really screwed the pooch early on. Well, when the bad guys get the plutonium halfway through the movie, that is definitely a failure on Ethan's part. That's not part of his gambit. You know, one thing that I liked about Fallout, a lot of things go really south for him. And there are some moments where uh, he looks genuinely concerned. And regretful. And regretful. And there are a lot of times in the movies where people are asking him, like, is this going to work? And he just kind of confidently says, it's going to work. And then you believe it, but in this one, he's more manic. He's like, it's going to work. Trust me, it's going to work. It's going to work. Like, he's trying to convince himself that it's not going to go south like everything else has been. How about some favorite scenes or performances? I am a Henry Cavill fan, so a lot of his scenes were really good. There was that sequence when he met with Elsa in those trees where they just kind of have their first big heart-to-heart in the movie. That was a really good scene. It was a nice way to slow things down. It was, because the movie had been really... It had been a bit much (laughs) (laughs) for up until that part. It was just kind of just one thing after another. The bathroom fight sequence was great. Oh, that bathroom fight. It's great to see side characters get their due, because it just makes everything else feel more threatening. It's like, okay, it's not just Walker and Lane that are causing problems. You got to watch out for everybody involved. It was cool to see them both having a hard time with that guy. 
And the comedy in that scene, they have the henchman in the bathroom and he's unconscious. And then Ethan looks down and sees him wake up. And that look on Ethan's face when he realizes, oh my God, he just woke up. (laughs) Yeah. I think it also handled the comedic moments a lot better than other movies did. Is it the funniest one? I would say it is in my opinion. If this isn't the funniest one, I think it's at least the most successful where the humor feels natural to what's going on. Yes. In Ghost Protocol, I felt like sometimes the humor was a little out of place. Same with MI3, but with Rogue Nation and Fallout, it was more natural. The humor was forced in the third one? Are you sure who wrote that one? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) Zing. (laughs) Told ya. (laughs) Oh, my. What's the closest Bond film equivalent to this? I feel like we've been doing the Craig movies a lot, but I'm going to give this one to Skyfall. Because there are times where he feels very ahead of the curve as opposed to Ethan. Silva had that in Skyfall. That feeling of upper hand until the very end. I see that. I would also pick Skyfall for a slightly different reason. In their respective fandoms, Fallout and Skyfall... I think most people would say, objectively, they're the best in their respective series. In terms of the Craig movies versus Tom Cruise and these ones. Yeah, that I can agree. I wanted to see this in theaters because it looked good. And I can say, like, I mean, out of a movie franchise with six entries, it's wild that the sixth one is the best. I hope I'm not setting these sequels, the last two, for failure. If I just compared fallout to skyfall i hope the seventh isn't like specter and the eighth <laughs> isn't like no time to die in a lot of respects <laughs> i hope so too <laughs> i mean we're on a good streak i don't see a reason why it should end but only time will tell let's rate this sucker what would you give the story i will make your job easy and give it fives across the board Ooh. Out of all those, I'm curious about the villain. Why do you give him a 5 out of 5? Well, we see Solomon Lane come back. So we have the great villain from the last movie. And he's just as menacing. But we also see the end of this movie that he's pretty good at hand-to-hand combat. Because he almost kills Benji. And then you also have Henry Cavill. He kind of sneakily outs himself as the villain in the movie. I don't want to say it's a blink and you'll miss it moment, but if you're not paying attention, you'll definitely miss it. I feel like Henry Cavill really played the role very well. I think this movie had two great villains, and that's why I would give it a five. And this one has perhaps the most successfully convoluted plot out of all of them, would you say? Oh yeah, it's pretty convoluted, but it makes sense the whole time. It doesn't get confusing. I feel like they go from one thing to another quickly, but effectively. This is a fun one to watch multiple times. If you replay the mission briefing at the beginning of the movie and replay certain scenes, this is why Hunt has survived this long to the last act of the movie. Because it's part of Lane's plan. He wants them to survive. Just long enough. 
And actually, I wanted to ask you something. Like, did I mishear something in the scene when we are introduced to White Widow? Did she mention that her grandmother was Max? Her mother is Max. Her mother is Max. Okay. That was a nice little nugget. It is, but also it's like, did Vanessa Redgrave freeze some embryos? Because in order to have Vanessa Kirby, she probably would have had to have been pregnant around the time of the first Mission movie, which she's already like in her high 40s, early 50s by that point, at least. Well, I mean, I'm looking at the actress now. I mean, she's she's 34, so maybe if White Widow's in her mid-30s, she could have been just a youngin' in the first one. I guess the only point I'm trying to make is that Max would have had to have had her, let's say, within five or six years of that first movie. She's no spring chicken. <laughs> well, yeah, but still. <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible. It's not Mission Impossible. But it feels a bit unlikely. I agree. There's so many great continuity bits in the sixth movie. Yeah, you've got White Widow being related to Max, which on the face of it feels a little too convenient. But then you go, no, this film series has existed a long time. It makes sense that eventually he would cross paths with somebody who has a connection to somebody else he's dealt with. Mm -hmm. What other connective tissue with previous films help me out andrew well other than julia of course there you go that's the big one that's the big one yeah i've noticed that none of the movies really connect to two at all i think they largely pretend that one didn't happen so in the scene where luther is talking to ilza about hunt's former wife it would have been great if not only he mentioned her and said, oh, and there's this other chick that was a thief, and there was a virus, and there was a lot of flipping going on. I knew that was never going to work out. (laughs) (laughs) Came a kung fu master for some reason. They did want Bandy Newton to come back for one of the subsequent movies, but she didn't want to do it. They also wanted to bring back Paula Patton, I believe in the fifth one, And I want to say scheduling prevented her from doing it. And then in this one, they wanted to bring back Jeremy Renner, but he found out his character was going to get killed, so he didn't want to do it. Oh, boo. As we land this plane, what do you want to see in the last two Tom Cruise mission movies? I want to see the quality keep going up like it has been. I really hope that it at least stays consistent. I don't want to set up expectations as to story. I just hope that they don't mess the bed. I also don't want the last movies to be about three hours long each. A dilemma that came up with Daniel Craig's 10 years Bond is, is he going to live or not by the end of the movie? And I really hope they don't kill Ethan off. I think he should become the secretary walk into the uh, Alec Baldwin role so that he's still part of it, but now they can play the politics. Like you said in the third movie, I wish there was more Larry Fishburne. I love seeing the IMF office. So while he's not doing action scenes in the ninth movie, he could be dealing with politics and backstabbing at the office. So you're hoping that they do seven and eight and then continue with new agents. I could see a way where the eighth movie ends 
and they kill Ethan Hunt. And then he does a narration and says, oh, don't worry about me. They'll always be good agents and the fight will never end as we see a new group of IMF going to do their next mission. But that feels too obvious. I hope Macquarie doesn't do that. I hope so too. I don't know if they'll kill Ethan. I wouldn't be surprised if he, quote, dies. But then you see, like, I don't want to use a bad movie as a <laughs> as an example, but... I think I know what you're thinking of. Go for it. I think it might be like The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, is they might pull that where it's just, there's no way he could have gotten out of it, but then you just see him sitting down at a cafe, like, chilling. With Ilsa Faust. Yeah, I mean, that'd be nice. Something in the next two movies I'm really looking forward to is Kittredge coming back from the first movie. What was so great about that guy is he was villainous, but he wasn't actually a bad guy. He was just going against what our hero wanted to accomplish. He was more of an antagonist than the villain. A real bureaucrat. Which that actor... This is coming off of him being a really good bureaucrat in Clear and Present Danger. De Palma must have seen him in that and said, this guy needs to be in my movie because he is the perfect suit. <laughs> Let us move on to TLDL. Too long, didn't listen. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I want very short answers. What do you think is the franchise's best quality? Twists. What do you think's its worst quality? That's a tough one. Clichés. Which mission is Tom Cruise's best performance? Just overall, which movie has the best Cruise acting? One. Which mission, if you could only recommend one, which one would you have them watch? Fallout. Would Bond make a better Ilsa Faust stand-in, or Hunt a better Felix Leiter? Hunt a better Felix Leiter. That would be really cool. Who's a better female protagonist? Julia Mead, Agent Carter, or Ilsa Faust? I'd say Ilsa Faust. What can get more tedious? The masks, the double crosses... Or the whole outlining heist? The outlines. Did you know the subtitle for the last two movies is Dead Reckoning? I did see that online, yes. I think Macquarie's having his fun with the audience, because they are wondering if Ethan's going to die. Let's put dead in the title. Ha <laughs> Probably is that, but we'll see if he kills him. And then I've heard that the seventh movie is going to end on a cliffhanger. So is this kind of like the mission version of Infinity War? That's what it seems like. If it's going to be Dead Reckoning Part 1 and 2. The one thing for sure, hands down, will make me groan is if a major part of the plot is a traitor at the IMF. It wouldn't surprise me, but I hope that's not the case. They've done that just about every way you can do it. It's done, Tom. It's done. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> the only uh, traitor that's left in your midst is J.J. Abrams producing these other movies with you. Maybe they'll get him to play the villain. He already is the villain. <laughs> 
Hey guys, hopefully you're all enjoying this Mission Impossible talk. Because there are currently six movies in the franchise, I'm cutting up my discussion with Andrew into three parts. So keep an eye out for those episodes, and make sure you check back in with us. Thanks for listening. <laughs>